Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Generally Casual. I am your co-host, Michael, and this is the place where you can learn anything and everything casually. Eventually, you'll get that correct. Yeah, I'll I'll almost not forget the whole intro every time I do. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, join with me is Richard, and today we have a special guest, Kim, who is our... (laughs) Yep. That was uh, her intro. Yeah. No. Well, let me finish it up. Uh, who is our quote unquote expert in autism because she has late diagnosed autism. Yeah. Hi, Kim. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for it having me. It works for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> works for me too. <laughs> Threw this whole ramshackle thing together and we're, we're good to go now. Yeah. So. Hey, that's well, the thanks way for I coming on. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's my day to day classroom. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, what am I doing today? Ah! <laughs> so uh, I guess let's get right into it. Uh, Kim, what is autism? Yeah. We'll start with a brief description, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, autism is a is something that's classified as a neurodivergence, which just means that it's a different way of operating for the brain um that within our like current society oftentimes it's viewed within sort of a deficit model um i was about to say i i also have a neuro uh, neuro yeah neuro See, now i'm doing it a neurodivergence because okay. i have a adhd so i mean yeah. too hey hey I've, but I've, I, got, I, I, I've got that one too <laughs> <laughs> double duty all right sometimes you got more than one yeah i was gonna say actually you're totally right with the negativity because um when i was going through college like there was a mixture between going hey if your kid has autism you should treat them you know delicately and with special care and then that slowly yeah. evolved throughout school going hey you should just treat these kids just like every other kid. They just may need a different, you know, set of tools. Yeah. And that's like... One of those tools, patience. Patience. Sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and sometimes uh, my autistic kids get things faster than the rest yeah. of my kids. And, you know, every, just like any other person, every kid is different. <laughs> no exactly. matter what their ni- neurodivergence is or not. Exactly. Um, and... Like you were saying, Michael, yeah. neurodivergence is a group of differences in the brain. So autism is one of them. ADHD is one of them. Other types are like um, um, dyslexia, dysgraphia. Um, there's a, there's several of those that are all um, like dyslexia is more well known about reading. But there's a few of those that are really similar that have to do with writing and even um, um people's walking and sometimes they trip over themselves and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but not just you know to a much deeper extent than just an average person so um that's something i didn't even know about (laughs) so wow so there's a whole lot of different ways you can be neurodivergent and autism is one of them and there's a really high um co-occurrence of autism with um adhd as well as a whole lot of other you know, diagnoses and such. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, um, overall, and now that we've kind of uh, expanded out a little bit on what neurodivergency happens to be, uh, what would you say, if we simplified it, is the difference between someone who would 
be categorized as ADHD versus someone who is categorized as being autistic. You I are think, asking yeah. like such a good question. And I have to say as somebody who's diagnosed both, mm -hmm. um, I ask that question to myself all the time. And even when I went and got diagnosed as an adult for autism, I went in saying, hey, I don't know if this is just sort of excessive ADHD or if it's more autism because so many of the of the difficulties are co like happen in both right yeah um right. so i think it really just depends on you know there's a lot of research being done on that and sometimes the challenges between adhd and autism can kind of seem um like counter to one another like somebody who's autistic might really like rituals and rules and be a big rule follower and someone with adhd might really like thrive with impulsivity and uh, rules might feel really binding to them and somebody who's like got both like me might do really well with rules but hate them uh, so like, that's kind of the bane of yeah. my existence it's like routine is so great for me but i really hate it <laughs> <laughs> So you're not big into habitual behaviors, I take it. Well, <laughs> or you hate really... them. <laughs> <laughs> or like trying to, I've been trying to make some more routines for myself to make my life easier. And at mm. the same time, um, I find it really hard to set up routines for myself. I just find it really, really, really challenging. So I think this is actually a really good time to uh, actually kind of revisit a conversation that you and I had before this recording um, to talk a little bit about perspective and how everything is slightly different for each individual. And so especially on the like diagnostic criteria or um, in general about on an individual basis, everything is slightly different from each person. So everybody can present slightly differently or can. Um, and we'll go into more discussion later on about how that actually affects um, commonality and kind of what people uh, expect when it comes to um, specifically autism and kind of the facing element of it. But on currently, I would actually like to kind of go into how it uh, is affected on the diagnostic side of things. Yeah, and that's a really great point with, um, you know, everybody being so individualistic um, because there's a, there's a really great saying, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Because just like people in general can are all super unique, as are autistic people. Um, so even though there are, and I can go into the different diagnostic criteria, you know, there are different criteria that you have to have to get a diagnosis of autism. Um, and, you know, that shows that in our culture, um, you're going to just encounter more challenges because of the way the expectations of our culture. But that even with that, people can have varying levels and varying degrees within that. And it really creates um, a very large spectrum, as they say. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, for just diving into like the diagnostic criteria. Um, so. There's a lot, there's a few things that you have to have some of or just a little bit of. So um, the first kind of bucket is 
references like social communication and interacting with people. Um, and I think that, you know, that's one of those areas that a lot of times people know that autistic people tend to have challenges. So um, this is something that people must have in, you know, all of these different areas. So you might, you're going to struggle to understand and engage in back and forth conversation. Um, for example, for myself, I tend to accidentally trip over other people's conversation. I really don't mean to. Um, but I just don't always understand where those natural pauses are that people get. Um, pe they might show their interests, emotions, and their, even their like physical affect just differently. Now, for me, showing my affect differently doesn't necessarily show as um, largely as it might for some others. Some others might totally have a really flat affect. Um, but for me, I tend to be more gregarious. And so, um, but sometimes it doesn't fit in in the way that people expect. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like one of the buckets. They also might um, struggle with like eye contact and understanding body language and gestures and like facial expressions and nonverbal communication in general. Um, I think the struggling with eye contact is a really big thing that people have ingrained in them about autistic people. But just keep in mind that um, there are ways that autistic people might learn to sort of fake eye contact, or that actually might not be an area that's a major struggle for them. You can have good eye contact and still um, have met another of the enough of the other diagnostic criteria to be um, autistic. So, and some people just like make eye contact and deal with the discomfort it gives them because it's expected culturally. Um, so some people, you know, or they've gotten used to what that feels like for them. So even though it feels like discomfortable over time, it's <laughs> like, you know, it might, it might be okay. Or, I mean, they just sort of get used to that level of uncomfortable. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a that's a great point because I feel like, at least stereotypically, if you're, like, watching most sitcoms, like, doctor sitcoms or oh, like yeah. hospital sitcoms, that's, like, the only thing they focus on. They're like, oh, of course, this child's autistic because they have trouble making eye contact. Well, they won't really touch about any other thing that's with autism. Well, and that's kind of the Hollywood definition of, of those type of things, especially, I you as you just pointed out, Criterion A, I think, is the picture perfect of, of what Hollywood autism is as opposed to, as we've already said, it's based off a of perspective because everybody's on an individual level. Yeah. So, Yeah, absolutely. And like I've had um, conversations with other people where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he really struggled with eye contact and I knew he was autistic right then. And it's like there's so many other layers to it. That could be a big sign, but that could be signs of other things, too. Um, so, yeah. And sort of the last piece of the social stuff is um, struggling with developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. Um, some, you know, autistic people just might generally have a lack of interest in others or may not, um, or they might not understand how to manage that relationship. That just, um, a lot of people who are autistic have referenced, and I, the, I relate to this, um, there being sort of like a playbook that everyone else got that like you just didn't get so you're just trying to like learn the rules to this game of life and people that everybody else sort of intuitively understands um 
And so I think, you know, the struggling with developing, maintaining and understanding relationships fits into that really well, because if you don't if you don't have the playbook, you're going to struggle to like keep up with the game. You know what I mean? And not to say that like interacting with people is a game or anything, but you know what I mean. Uh. It it's is a kind of its own game, but yeah. <laughs> Depends on the person, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> Some people treat that as a game. Uh, so actually, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about that. Um, so from the elements that you were talking about, social communication, interaction as a big bucket and kind of the breakdown of all of that, uh, do you find, uh, this is from your own personal experience, obviously, uh, as there are kind of varying levels as put it the spectrum i guess would be the 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 more common uh vernacular to use that but as people grow up if they aren't diagnosed with autism uh do you think that uh someone may end up thinking that they are more antisocial as opposed to on the spectrum Just that's a really opinion. interesting question yeah um Antisocial. That's an interesting word. So, like, I think that I grew. So, speaking about myself personally, um, when I was in like college and stuff, I wondered if I would had a like social anxiety disorder because I struggled with people and struggled with, um, you know, I, it seemed like everybody else just understood things easier than I did. But I had an innate interest in um having friends and being in groups of people um i just didn't sort of fit in as easily or understand it as easily so i don't think that you necessarily some people might i think again it comes back to everybody so unique some people mm -hmm. might feel like that makes them innately antisocial whereas others um one of the things that's interesting about like about um, I, I hate to say like women because it's not just women, but some people who tend to highly um, hide their autistic traits because they're it's called masking. And I was going to get into that a little bit later, but um, it's a it's a thing where people consciously or unconsciously um, sort of hide their autistic traits uh, as a means to sort of get through you know, get through the world, get through the day. Kind of like if you have like a big business meeting coming up and maybe you're having a bad day and it's like the fake it till you make it perspective. You're going to go in, you're going to put a big smile on your face and you're going to do everything you can um, to make sure that that bad day is not showing. Um, but this is much more persistent and all the time. And again, it can be totally unconscious um, where people are sort of just like, oh, I like to rock back and forth, but I've gotten negative feedback about that. So I'm going to try really hard not to mock, not to rock back and forth and stuff to, like that. To um, use your, to use your analogy, actually, it, I think it plays in really well. You, you had mentioned that um, it's like not having the playbook. Um, but in this case, it's like people have written their own playbook to try and then match other people's playbooks. Right. From, yeah. from that element. Yeah. 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 You're sort of watching others and saying like, oh, look, that kind of, they did that thing. And I think I'll try that too. And, you know, 
it's like and then that elicits positive response you're like oh that worked cool i'll put that in my brain for later and that that worked and i can do that again at another time yeah that makes sense yeah and so i think that you know people some people will really go hard into that masking behavior and especially if they're undiagnosed i know i did and um because of that you sort of rely on that masking behavior to get you through the social situations if that makes Hmm. sense yeah Yeah, that makes a lot of sense yeah so um we have now taken care of uh bucket a um (laughs) what what would be bucket b then from that standpoint yeah so the next bucket is um like restricted repetitive patterns of behavior um and it's got sort of a few different pieces of it and this you don't have to have every piece you have to have just a couple of them um a lot of people have these in some ways but not all so like i'm going to go into the details and explain that but so for example repetitive behaviors that's what is considered like stimming or self-stimulatory behavior so that's really stereotypically like the rocking back and forth hand flapping um but it can also or lining toys up in a specific manner um but it can also be really almost like socially acceptable things like biting your nails or like tapping your toe or shaking your leg while you're sitting down at a meeting. Um, And everybody actually does the stimming behavior. All people do it, Um, but autistic people do it in a different manner where it is providing a sensory input or sensory regulation that's really important to that person um, a lot. And again, this is oftentimes done really unconsciously. Um, so like for me, um, I bite my nails, I pick my um, nail beds. Um, I, I rock. I actually, it's funny when I told my husband, I thought I was autistic. He's like, well, yeah, you, you never stand still. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you're always rocking back and forth. And I'm like, what if you've never told me this before? What do you wow. mean? <laughs> um, so so yeah. on, on that note, I wanted to kind of clarify a little bit. So when you had talked about the the role, what it serves for that person, you, you said that for autistic people, it like feel fills a need basically, or kind of, I was just a little bit more confused on that element does it fills a sensory need and sensory like so um autistic people might experience this is one of the parts of the buckets we haven't gotten to but you might Mm -hmm. um from a sensory perspective we might our brains have a hard time filtering sensory experiences the same way other people's do and so sounds might truly sound louder or lights might truly be brighter for us. Um, And so because our brains don't filter the sensory experience in the same way. Um, So there are times where we might need more sensory than we're getting. And so, you know, because of that, you might like fidget more. You might, um, some people have really large stimulant like stems and some people have really small like people might not even notice their stems and that's the kind i have where you know people notice them but it doesn't seem like as um 
sort of obvious and out of the ordinary, but I do them to an extreme, you know, like I, I bite my nails until they're too far down and it can be actually kind of harmful to my body. Um, uh, got it. Yeah. So it, it ends up being to the point of more of an extremity and it's something that, uh, as, as you put it earlier, it's something that you may not notice until brought up from a third party or something else like that. Yeah, and it may not be harmful. Like, there are some stems that are harmful. So one of the ones that people talk about in a negative way is, you know, if um, a kiddo's, like, hits his head, you know, that might be something that's coming out of, you know, a self-regulatory, but it's that's also harmful to his body. And so if that, if you've got harmful stems, you really want to, it's helpful to know if there's, if they're a stem, because you know that there's a sensory need being met. And if you can redirect it to meet that same need in a different way, that's a really helpful way because then you're honoring the fact that that person has a need um, rather than just telling them, oh, break that bad habit, you know, which was growing up what I was always told. Uh, that's a bad habit. Stop biting your nails. Just just work harder to break that bad habit. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of putting your brain against your body at that point. Yeah. But um, no, but they also people didn't know. At that, you know, yeah, yeah of a course. Lot less back then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you relate the experience? I like. I'm trying to relate, you know, metaphors and, and such. Uh, <laughs> would it, would it be very similar? At least the small stimulations be like very similar to blinking, where you kind of just you just start doing it, and then you don't realize you're doing it until someone else mentions or observes the behavior. Kind of, yeah. Okay. I yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one of those, like, with with my swaying, I had no idea I was even doing it. My husband's like, you never stand still. <laughs> I'm like, what do you <laughs> yeah. mean? Because I would yeah. that's not one of the ones I would have listed for myself because I, w- I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah. Oh, that's highly yeah. interesting because then you really have to have rely on other people's observations of you to understand yourself a little bit better. Well, yeah, especially it's when interesting. You're, when you're going through the questioning part, part of it, right? If yeah. it's something where as you get older, you're you're noticing – differentiation of yourself or like you're you're i have difficulty doing this i wonder if it's this through like kind of self-diagnosis and then having i i would assume that's more or less why in your case you you were noticing certain things and you're like i wonder and so then the doubt set in to then be like well maybe i am and then that then you kind of got some confirmed affirmation out of Mm -hmm. like well yeah you can't you can't sit still. You move all the time or blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's so the questioning of, you know, maybe I am, but oh my gosh, how could I? So for me, when I first started questioning whether I was autistic, there's like this major imposter syndrome that starts um, coming into play. Cause I don't want to take up space in a community that I don't really belong in. So for me, it was really important to get external you know, information. Um, so that, you know, I went and sought a diagnosis and more information for myself. So I could just learn about myself and what I need to maybe provide better supports um, for my life. But it's also a really hard process going through diagnosis diagnosis and it can be really expensive in the United States in particular take a really 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 long time so there's unfortunately a whole lot of barriers to that 
Um, but it was really important to me because I had major imposter syndrome and um, I just didn't feel comfortable. And I also didn't feel comfortable like with the unknown of not knowing. So <laughs> I, like I yeah. really needed to go through the process for myself and um, not just from like my husband, but from here from like psychologist and stuff where I fit within the range of normal, I suppose. Yeah. Normal being a horrible word. <laughs> yeah yeah oh for sure whatever that is i don't understand that <laughs> word, honestly nowadays exactly. <laughs> uh all right well no. um from that standpoint uh do we have other buckets we have more buckets so okay. another thing is um insistence on st- on sameness sort of being this is um those routines that I mentioned earlier um, that can be really helpful and um, autistic people can feel much more safe and secure in them. And it can also be a sign of being autistic. And that could be Mm -hmm. like, you need to have, um, for me, if I, if I'm like when I'm showering, if I, if I wash my hair before um, I wash my body or something and I do it out of order, I mean, it can mess my whole day up. it's really silly i recognize that it's really silly but it can like there are some of those routines that get baked in that can actually that are really important and again they provide a sense of safety and security um as well so and then that can also seem like be like black and white thinking um so that's pretty common for autistic folks as well to um have a hard time with the gray area. Now, one thing I want to mention with both of these things is, like I said earlier, I've got the competing ADHD as well. And so some some things I have routines and I really rely on them. Some things I wish I could create routines around so that I could have an easier time with them. Um, and I struggle with that. And so just because I have some routines in some areas doesn't mean that the fact that I don't have it all the time everywhere through everything doesn't make me like less autistic or anything there is no more or less autistic you just the when you go through a diagnosis the psycho you talk about the different things you have and the different levels and the psychologist um understands whether that's enough whether that's impacting your life to that level or is enough or whatever um if that makes sense so like the next bucket being um, or with the black and white thinking, as I was mentioning, I have really black and white thinking for myself, like when I think about um, things for me, but then when it comes to like business decisions, because I work in business and I actually have a lot of um, flexible thinking in that. And I get a really, I really enjoy all the gray area there. So you can have both and still be autistic um but again when you go through diagnosis the psychologist helps you figure out if it's oh of course impacting you in a negative way well and something you actually just really uh, opened my eyes about was talking about how the psychologist will will gauge how much the different levels are impacting your life yeah that that's super important because in reality that's kind of has to do with uh, your re- recognizing and your realization and, and trying uh, then how to navigate through that, right? And that's mm-hmm. 
usually what the the psychologist is there to help you with. Yeah, I, I'm glad you also clarified that they were talking about negativity on your life because not everything that you're going through with whatever neurodivergence you have is necessarily negative. It's just a different way that you approach your life and different struggles that you're going to have to navigate around to help you process your own day. (laughs) Exactly. And so just because some, some of like your thinking or the way you live your life might come from your neurodivergence, that doesn't make it necessarily a bad thing. But we also might have more struggles because of the way that the world is sort of on our culture is set up. That tends to be more, it just tends to be easier for people who, um, you know, are neurotypical, which just means doesn't have any neurodivergence, doesn't have autism, Mm -hmm. ADHD. Yeah. Also doesn't Uh, mean that they're not going through life in a different way. Exactly. (laughs) They've got their own challenges too. Yeah. Yeah, um, the next bucket is special interests. So, and that's a term that some people love and some people hate, but it just means that like people can really find an interest and dive super deep and want to know absolutely everything there ever was about that topic and could talk for it about, like talk about it or learn about it or just know about it for the rest of their life and be so happy. And sometimes people go through periods where they'll have like a special interest sort of takeover and then they might move on to something else. Um, but that tends to be something people are just really, really, really getting hyper fixated on um, to the the level of which that it seems at, quote unquote abnormal. Um, though I think that it's just a really great way to um, show how deep um of thinkers autistic people could be you know and yeah i mean for, from that standpoint um passion. someone yeah i was gonna say the passion, passion level and you know some would use the negative term like obsessive but in in reality to me it's like they're showing how much they can learn about a specific uh, subject or you know interest or things like that and that's fascinating in itself I mean, certain people wish that they had that skill. So. Yeah. <laughs> and they can play really well and like work too. If you have um, a job where you are working in relation to your special interests, you're likely to just be an ac- absolute rock star because you can fixate on that and just go into deep dives and know lots mm. of information about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that that can also cause the ability to fix those problems on those subjects too. Because if you have like basically a vast knowledge of something, you can then be like, well, that's how this works. An encyclopedia. Exactly. (laughs) So like one awesome example of this, um, do you know Greta, Greta Thunberg? She's a, yeah. Yeah. That teenager. Environmentalist teenager. Exactly. So she's autistic. Um, and clearly, Climate change is one of her special interests, and she has taken that into and made it into this big movement um, to inform people and to try to make actual change for climate change. So, yeah. And she has a wealth of knowledge that I couldn't even fathom uh, drop in the bucket for environmentalism, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, so the last bucket of this piece which is the restricted and repetitive pattern patterns of behavior is um 
that piece I was talking about before about sensory input. So hyper or hypo reactivity to sensory input, basically meaning you can be extra reactive to sensory input or or less reactive to sensory input. Again, just because our brains filter the sensory input differently. Um, and so, and it can vary on the different type of sensory input. So sensory including sound, taste, um, physical touch, but it also can include, um, and these were some fun ones that I, when I was learning about this, I just thought was really interesting. Um, so your internal sensory understanding of your own body. So for example, a, autistic people, one of the things that people can be very detached from their own sensory understanding of their body. So they may not notice they have to go to the bathroom or that they're hungry. Um, and so like pair that intense special interest. Imagine like you're going down a rabbit hole of research and you don't notice that you're getting hungry and stuff. And then suddenly three hours go by and you're ravenous and um, that could then create a situation where you might be more reactive emotionally to people because you're just really, really, really hungry. Um, so, and on the other side, sometimes people can have a hyper awareness of their internal sensory experience. So they can, for me, I, um, I also have anxiety and like every day I have heart palpitations. And I think one of the reasons is I'm just more aware of my heart beating um mm. than other people are yeah it's fascinating yeah I, um, that is yeah so it's just really i think it's kind of cool and it's also just one of the differences again of experiencing things i assume that would like expand to a lot of different stuff like the first thing that came to my mind when you brought it up was actually almost like your internal clock so you wouldn't recognize that you're sleepy or tired until you are to the point of exhaustion type mm. of thing that's uh -huh. that's fantastic too yeah i've had that happen to me when i've been like out gardening and i decided to just do so much gardening all at once and i didn't sense that i got tired i didn't sense that i was hungry and i was out there for four hours and i didn't sense that time had passed and then like all of it hit me at once and i was just like Ooh. need food now need yeah lay down yeah. <laughs> suddenly tan and then you don't you don't know how you yeah. got there <laughs> yeah okay um I, is there any more buckets we need to tackle for understanding uh the different um what what is so what's the difference between neurotypical and neurodivergent for autism there you go man we're learning stuff i'm learning words <laughs> <laughs> so those are like the different quote unquote symptoms the other buckets just have to do with like the fact that um it needs to have been this is a lifelong thing this is who you are you don't suddenly wake up one day and you're autistic so when you go through diagnosis um you're going to talk a lot about your early life as well as and um the psychologist is going to be looking for information that shows that these symptoms or whatever um that i don't really like the word symptom oh traits that these traits there you go. Yeah. <laughs> existed, you know, your whole lifespan. Um, and then they also want to see that it is causing an impairment. 
um, their words, not mine, in social, <laughs> occupational, so work or other impair, other areas of your functioning. So it's impacting you. It's making it's making stuff about your life harder, and that's true. It really does. Um, that's not something that I gloss over necessarily, even though I really am a believer that. Um, Especially, you know, for me, um, I'm fortunate to be, you know, quite able to function in our society. So, um, but I, I have struggles and everybody who's autistic has struggles. Um, and then the last one being that the, the traits are not better described or explained by an intellectual disability or another kind of developmental, um, developmental delay. So um, that's going to be more pertinent in situations where intellectual disability is present um, and the way that our current, the way that the current um, model of diagnosing is, is typically when there's intellectual um, disability as well, that's going to be considered um, low functioning or level two or three um, autism. But another time we can talk about why some of those things are a little problematic, those phrases. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't just blame uh, someone's development on the pandemic or something like that and be like, no, exactly. they're like this because they missed a year of school. So oh, now yeah. we're at, mm. yeah. Well, now that we learned a lot about uh, how to, or I guess the criterion for autism, I think we can uh, wrap up this, uh, this episode and we will get, uh, we will do a deeper dive on autism and all things autism. I don't know why I just <laughs> used the same word twice uh, <laughs> in, our, in our next episode. And if you don't know, uh, April is uh, Autism Month or uh, Nash Autism Awareness, Awareness month. month. Yes, this is not Autism Month. This yeah. is not Autism Awareness, Awareness Month. <laughs> um, and that is every year. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, should have started the podcast that that way. Um, so if you are looking for more, inter oh, my goodness, if you are looking for more information on autism, or maybe you have questions about yourself, and the best we can ever do is just help you uh, find a place or find resources where you can find out more information um, by either bringing on lovely people like him or by finding uh, very casual information ourselves and helping direct you. And in this, so this is going to be a two-parter for everybody that's not clear that <laughs> what we were talking about. Next uh, part. Um, we will have um, more kind of resources. We'll probably include some of the links in this episode and some of the links in the next because we want to be able to have time to explain them. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we want to ensure that it, it, we're going to go into this more in the next episode on how misinformation is very prevalent in today's mm -hmm. society and then we'll kind of go further into a deep dive about why and how we can fix that. All right. Excellent. Uh, if you, you can find us at anywhere at generally casual at uh, any social media, you can email us at generally casual at gmail.com and let us know your questions. Uh, if you have any more questions for Kim, please uh, send them on over. Cause we would love to ask her many, 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 oh, many yeah. questions. Super lots of questions. <laughs> We will see you all next time for part two. Bye, everybody.